Our scripture this morning is 1 John 2, 12 through 14 in the ESV version. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Meredith. This is the uh, first time this week that I've been on the stage without elves, and uh, I already missed the beard, and I already missed Buddy, and uh, if you went to the high school musical this week, uh, what you saw was a lot of talented kids who put in tremendous time over the last couple of months, maybe three months, and uh, they had one goal, and it was this, to present a great show. And that goal then dictated what those kids spent their evenings doing for the last three uh, months. It meant lots of practice and lots of rehearsal hours. And that's what a clear purpose does. A clear purpose shapes your priorities. And that's what we're getting at with this series called On Purpose. How can we, how can we be the church together? Because when we're clear about where we're going, then... And, and how we need to get there, it will shape then how we live. Our mission here at Community is to know Jesus, to help people to know Jesus, and then to help people to bless others. That's the mission, and that requires a path. And so the mission at the high school was a great show, right? And the path was night after night of blocking and lines and hitting the right notes. And it's the same here as we gather as a church family. The mission is to know and bless. And uh, that's just another way to say love God and love people. And there's then a path to get there. And the path helps us be on purpose together. And here's the path that we have laid out in these weeks together. Four critical actions that if we all take together, that we will be on purpose. Um, we, uh, number one, uh, the, the critical action step number one is to ex, uh, attend a service to experience God. Number two, to invite a friend to share hope. That's what we talked about last week. And um, number three, take a step, a next step to uh, follow Jesus. We're gonna talk about that today. And then number four, give generously to rescue Others. So here's all of those on one slide. I want you to say them with me today uh, so that we can kind of submit these in our heads each week, okay? Number one, attend a service to experience God. By the way, good job today. Well done. You're here. Awesome. Okay. Number two, invite a friend to share hope. Number three, take a next step to follow Jesus. Number four, give generously to rescue others. And when we all do all four of those together, it will mean that we're on purpose together. And it means asking ourselves every week, did I attend? Did I share this week? Did I grow in some way this week? Did I give 
in some way this week? And the more the answer is yes for all of us, then the more we will be on purpose and on the right path as individuals, but also collectively as a group of followers. And so today we're going to talk about taking a next step to follow Jesus. And the very simple idea that I want to give you here is that the next step is just all about growing. We won't ever grow collectively unless we are growing personally. And so we need to talk a little bit about growing today. The text that was read uh, just a second ago from 1 John chapter 2, I want, you to po- I want to point to something that's very much on the surface. We're not going to get too deep into this text today, and then we're going to jump into some other texts, but there's something resting on the surface, and if you notice, there are three different groups that John writes to. John says, I'm writing to you children. And then he says, I'm writing to you fathers. And then he says, I'm writing to you young men. And he actually does that twice in the text. He addresses each group twice. And if you read a lot, a lot of commentaries, an awful lot of commentators will say this, that what John is doing here is that he's talking to three different levels of Christians. He's talking to the newest Christians, and then he's talking to uh, the growing Christians, and then he's talking to the more mature Christians. And we could frame those three three categories up this way. Uh, We could talk about baby Christians. Baby Christians are people who have just found Jesus, and there's a lot of change going on in their life, but they're all good, and because they're filling a hole that nothing else could fill, and they've found God, and all of a sudden it's a party, right? Uh, These are baby Christians. And then there are Uh, adolescent Christians, or we could call them teenage Christians, right? And teenage Christians have been at the game long enough that they have uh, found some speed bumps put in front of their path. And not everything about the Christian life is working out like they thought it might work out. And so they question, they look around at God, I thought it was gonna be like this, but it's like this, and why is that? And why do I have zits on my soul, on my spiritual soul? I don't know why that is. That's what teenagers do, right? Okay. Then there are mature Christians, and mature Christians are mainly just filled with silence because the more mature you are, the more you don't really think about the fact that you're mature. And so all of us following Jesus fall into one of those stages of the Christian life. And I wanna bring some scriptures in to speak to each one of those about what your next step might be depending on what level you're at, okay? So let's go to first, first Peter chapter two, verses two and three. And here's what Peter writes. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Um, A next step for baby Christians, if you find yourself in that category, is this. It's very simple. Get fed. That's it. Get fed. And by the way, if you don't know what level you're at, just start at the beginning, okay? And that will go best uh, for you. Um, Some of you have the experience of having a toddler, and uh, sometimes, sometimes, toddlers have meltdowns. Uh, They look like this, 
And uh, I found some toddler meltdown stories. These are written by moms and dads about how their toddler melted down. One mom writes this, from the back seat, my enraged toddler sobbed, he's looking out my window. He was mad because his brother was looking out of his window instead of the other one, okay? Somebody writes, I teach preschool and two of my three-year-olds got into a heated argument because they thought only one of them could like onions. There was sobbing, rage, tears all over onions. My son had a nuclear meltdown because he wanted water in the green cup, and I gave him water in the green cup. Some of you have been there. Okay. My daughter lost it because she wanted a twin sister. She has a twin sister. My daughter dropped a pretzel and the dog ate it. She started bawling and threw her entire cup of pretzels on the floor. Spoiler alert, the dog ate those too. That's how that works. My son wanted me to wrap him like a burrito for bed. I did, but he was upset that I wrapped him like a bean burrito, crying, I wanna be a chicken and rice burrito. That's phenomenal. Last one. Our toddler found a photo book of my wife and I before kids having fun on a vacation. And he melted down saying, we went out for fun and didn't take him. I told him, it's because you weren't born yet. He fired back, I exist. I'm right here. (laughs) Here's the truth. You know this. Toddlers need direction, right? They do. Um, The New Living Translation uh, version of the text that we just read says this. these These are phrases that are telling. It says, cry out for this nourishment and so that you can get a full experience of salvation. And I wanna suggest that that's what every good parent does with their toddler that is melting down. They think life is one way and the parent comes in and says, no, 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 actually life is this way. Everyone actually can like onions at the same time. Yay, everybody wins. That's the way life can work. And so they're leading a child into the full experience of life. And it's the same with baby Christians. We need Uh, the right help, we need the right direction, we need fed so that we can have the full experience of our salvation. Receiving Jesus and forgiveness and getting newness is the best experience, but it's not the end, right? There's so much more on top of that. Now, I brought some uh, props today to use, and the first prop uh, is a baby spoon, uh, because We need, when we are at the baby Christian level, we need somebody to feed us so that we can grow. We need others to step into our lives. We need others to teach us and to explain scripture and to share life experiences so that we know how to navigate life in a a Christian way because everything's new and we don't know any better. Anybody ever, uh, anybody here own a China doll? Couple people? Okay, all right. You can imagine a China doll, right? Uh, some China dolls can look better than real babies. You ever thought about that? They're pretty, they're perfect, they're put together, they have uh, you know, just the perfect outfit on and they look great on display. The problem with China dolls is that they don't grow, right? 
Uh, some of you have had China dolls or American Girl dolls or whatever, and they, you've had them for uh, decades, but they stay the same size. They're exactly the same as when you got it. Uh, the difference between that and a real baby is that a real baby grows, right? It's, if something is really alive, then the signs are unmistakable. And if we're really alive in Christ, then our growth will be unmistakable as well. Baby Christians grow because somebody has fed them. And that feeding and growing, it's something that never stops our whole lives. Um, I will hopefully get fed today just like I did on my very first day of being a Christian and hopefully on my last day of being a Christian. Uh, Philip Yancey had the opportunity to go and to visit with Billy Graham at the end of his life. And Billy Graham um, had Philip in this room and Billy Graham wasn't long for the world. And here's what he said to Philip Yancey. He said, I want you to open the Bible and I want you to teach me God's word. Now, Billy Graham at the end of his life still needed to be fed. And at the beginning, it's super crucial that we are fed. So baby Christians, get fed. And let's get, some, let's get real practical with some how-tos if you're a new believer. Maybe your next step um, looks something like this. In order to get fed, maybe your very first step is to give your life to Jesus, to accept the grace that God has offered you through the sacrifice of Jesus, to, to respond in faith, uh, in baptism, to give your life, to surrender to him to receive the Holy Spirit, and that step is the basis then for all other growth in the rest of your life. You cannot grow in Jesus if you're not in Jesus, and to be in Jesus, you need to respond in faith, in baptism, with confession, with repentance, and so that he can give you forgiveness of sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've done that. Maybe your next step is to just show up. We talked about that the first week, right? Part of being fed is just showing up to this place so that uh, you can be fed during the service, so that you can be fed other places. Uh, I'll talk about it in a second. Maybe your next step is to seek guidance to live the Christian life, to find somebody that has been a little further down the path than you are right now, and to just get with them and say, would you help me because I'm navigating something that I clearly see you have already been through, and would you help me in that? Maybe your next step is to understand the Christian scriptures better. And my, do we have so many ways that you could do that. Uh, maybe your next step is to get involved in an adult Bible fellowship class. Maybe your next step is to get involved in a small group or a life group, or maybe uh, the ladies' Bible study, maybe that's calling your name, or maybe the men's group is calling your name. Maybe student ministry, if you are a student. Maybe uh, Decision for Christ class, if you're a kid, uh, Paul has that Decision for Christ class. There are Bible study tools that are so helpful. I don't know anybody that shouldn't have 
at least a Bible dictionary sitting on their shelf, some commentaries sitting on their shelf. Let me give you one that, I, that everybody can, can do. It's absolutely free. Uh, it is the Bible study that, software that I use. I don't use the free version, I will say that. Okay, I've built up a library over years and years and years. But Logos uh, Bible study software is something that you can download for free and just in a matter of minutes, you can be studying the Bible in a very in-depth kind of way, okay? So jot that down, Logos Bible software. The other thing that I'm gonna point you to is podcasts. Uh, We have a podcast here. Uh, We learn best by repetition. And when you plug in a podcast and, and download some of those sermons, maybe even that you've heard before, you will always learn something better. There are Bible teachers everywhere out there that you can uh, maybe download, maybe your favorite Bible teacher and uh, learn the scriptures that way. One other thing that I wanna point to you real quick is uh, Right Now Media. And just by being a part of our church family, you have free access to Right Now Media. And what Right Now Media is, is a Netflix for Christians, basically. And here's what I found on, on Right Now uh, in just in the last few weeks. If you will go to Right Now and download that and get all the app and everything, and then you'll search Ozark Christian College, guess what comes up? You can go through the book of Ephesians and Philippians with Michael DeFazio. He's been on this stage before and preached. He's an amazing teacher. You can go through the Gospel of John with Kenny Bowles. Kenny Bowles has been on this stage before, and he's an amazing, amazing teacher. You can go through the parables of Jesus with Mark Scott. Mark Scott has been on this stage before, and he's an amazing preacher. Uh, You can go through Revelation with Shane Wood. Shane Wood has been on this stage, and he's an amazing teacher. Everybody's asking, when are we gonna go through Revelation anyway? There it is, there you go, you can do that. Uh, If you're new to the Bible, um, there, there's a course, How to Read the Bible by Michael DeFazio. And all of those, there's so many ways to get fed, okay? That there's no excuse for being skinny as a baby Christian, all right? Let's go to a second text. Uh, Philippians chapter two, verses 12 and 13. And here's what Paul writes in Philippians. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And we, we read that, and the first thing we do is we say, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute, work? What, 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 what is that? Because we've been talking about Salvation is free for a long time in this place, uh, that there's no work involved in salvation. Salvation is absolutely free, and that is absolutely true. Salvation is free, and it has been paid for already by the work of Jesus. And yet, Paul is able to write, we still need to work. The New Living Translation says we need to work hard. Why? Because we need to work out our salvation. A great way to say it is this. We need to show the results of our salvation. And because free salvation changes us from the inside out. We were, um, before we knew Jesus, we were urchins on the street 
begging for bread. But now, because of Jesus, we have been called to live in the palace with the king, with God himself, as a part of his family. Guess what? That's going to mean changes. We're gonna change the way we live. There are patterns of life that will have to be rewritten to show the results of being a part of this new family, this godly family. And so we work at it and we do that with fear and trembling because God is also working in us. Quick note, fear and trembling doesn't mean anxiety. Um, It doesn't mean that we don't know whether our efforts will be good enough for God. That's not what we're talking about. Instead, it's simply... Fear and trembling is just playing our role, playing our role, because God is also working. And so we're working hard, but God is doing the work. And yes, that's a paradox. Both are absolutely true. At the same time, we have a role, but we don't control it. Uh, you might be able to think about it like this. Way, like this. Um, some things we can control. Uh, a phone is easy to control. We you know, punch the buttons and we, it does what we want. A car is something that we control. We push a key in and turn it and we control the car. Dinner is something that we control. What do do you want for dinner tonight, right? But there are other things that are out of our control. Some things we can't change, the weather. I can't change the weather, you can't change the weather. Only God can change those things. But there's actually even a third category. Think about when you go to sleep. You don't really make yourself go to sleep the way that you would punch your phone, right, and make a phone call. But what you can do is you can get into a dark room and you can uh, lay down in a warm bed under a lot of blankets or little blankets, uh, you know, depending on what you want, or you can turn the noise on or cancel it out depending on your particular needs. And if you do all of those things, sleep will eventually come, right? We don't really control it, but we play a role. And that's that's it. That, it's the difference between a boat with a motor and a boat with a sail. With a motor, I'm in control, and I start it, and I dictate the speed, and I can go wherever I want, but with a sail on the boat, it's completely different. I'm still not passive, but I'm not totally in control either, right? I'm dependent on the wind. But when the wind comes, if I am doing my part of the work, amazing things can happen as I sail along. And so what does all of that mean? It means this, that we've got to feed ourselves. And so adolescent Christians, I'm going to call you teenage Christians, and I think most of us are in this boat together. Feed yourself. My wife will tell you that one of the most glorious days of her life was when she heard both of our kids in the kitchen by themselves, getting into kitchen cabinets, grabbing cereal, grabbing bowls, grabbing milk from the refrigerator, pouring the milk into the bowl over the cereal without ever bothering her. They fed themselves, and she knew that day, as heaven opened up and God blessed her, she knew that she was part of his family, right? Feeding babies is, uh, is great. If you're out uh, at a restaurant somewhere and you see a mom or a dad, you know, doing the doo or woo, you know, uh, to, a, to a toddler, that's really cool. If you see the same thing with a 14-year-old, 
Not so much, right? For every kid, there comes a point where the command is feed yourself, okay? That's it. Every parent knows this phrase, get it yourself, yes. Hey, dad, could you give me a frozen burrito out of the freezer and put it in the microwave and then bring it to me? No, get it yourself. There it is, yes. Now, for the, a prop for the spiritual teenagers in the room is a fork, fork. And the fork means get it yourself, get it yourself. Spiritually, we need to feed ourselves. Maybe you've heard, uh, you've heard it because you would never say it. You've heard, you know, I'm just not being fed. Maybe you've heard people say that. And then uh, they begin to blame uh, different people. They blame the church, or they blame the preacher, or they blame, blame the small group leader, or they blame the teacher. And sometimes they blame is so deep that they bounce uh, and they go to some other church and it lasts for two, three, maybe five years. And then they aren't getting fed again. And then they bounce to some other place. Um, here's what tweens and greens and zit-faced Christians uh, need. They need directness, okay? And so here it is. I, want, I need you to repeat this in your, in your head after me. The person most responsible for my spiritual development is me. That's it. That's it. It's not the preacher. It's not the leader. It's not the teacher. It's not the staff. I will tell you this. I have had tremendous teachers and leaders in my life and preachers in my life but when I stand before God and in front of Jesus, he will not say to me, you know what, Dusty, how did Mark Scott do? Did he teach you enough throughout your life so that you could have a relationship with me? Dusty, how did Kenny Bowles do? Did he memorize enough scripture for you to know me better? Dusty, how did Mark Moore do? Did he write enough books so that you could continue learning and growing in love? He won't ask any of that. He will say, Dusty, how did you do? Did you teach yourself? Did you memorize? Did you study? Did you do the things that were necessary to develop a relationship with me? Did you work out your salvation so that you became more and more like my son? Did you pick up a fork between Sundays and feed yourself. Willow Creek Association a long time ago did a landmark study. They spent over a million dollars to find out what makes Christians grow. And, And they spent all of this money, and here's what they found. The number one contributing factor to significant spiritual growth in people is always, always the same thing. It is this, personal Bible engagement. That's what it is. Growth happens without fail when a person chooses to engage the Bible for themselves. And so, adolescents, find a way to connect with God yourself between the Sundays where we meet together. Um, Really practical here. Uh, One thing that I've incorporated into my life outside of all of the preparation that I do in my office, okay? I've tried to put myself in shoes where I'm not a professional Christian, 
okay? Because really I am. I, I come to a church and I study the scripture all day and that kind of thing. And so I've tried to put myself not in those shoes. And one of the things that I've started doing is uh, just listening to the Bible while I brush my teeth. Sounds simple. It is simple. Um, there's a Bible app. It's a version Bible app. Um, it, you can search the Bible app, or you can search version and uh, pick any reading plan. There are lots of them on there. Uh, there are Bible apps that will read to you. I have one of those. And while I brush my teeth and uh, comb my hair and get ready in front of the mirror, it involves about five to eight minutes every morning, and I just listen to Scripture while I do those things. And do you know that at that pace, you can get through the entire Bible in less than two years. My current pace is about one and a half times um, in two uh, years. And so um, you can keep your teeth from rotting and your life from rotting at the same time. It, it works out really well. The other thing that I've really learned to do that has really helped me, and I don't have time to talk about this this morning, but I'll write it up for our email update, is to pray scripture. If you want to connect with God, then you need to speak the language that God speaks. And the language that God speaks is scripture. And Martin Luther came up with a prescription for how to pray scripture that was very simple, but it's very powerful. And it will deepen your relationship with God. If you find yourself in your prayers, adolescent Christians, saying things like this, God, would you just be with me? And God, uh, that family member, would you just be with them? And uh, God, my friend, would you just be with them? And would you just help her? And if you find yourself there, it's easy to find yourself there. Uh, this will help. And so look for that. I will write it up and we'll send it out. But adolescent Christians, feed yourself. Your devotional practice just needs to be something that connects you to God. There are lots of ways that people connect with God. Um, uh, Gary Thomas wrote a book called Sacred Pathways. And he says that some people are relational. That's what, the way we connect to God the best. Some of you connect with God best out in nature. Uh, some of you connect with God best when you serve. Some of us connect with God through our intellectual pathways. Some of us connect with God through music because we really love music and that's just a natural pathway to, to connect with God. Whatever your way is, find your way and connect regularly between Sundays. Studies show that four times or more every week is the lowest bar that you, that you can set and still see benefit, okay? So it, it should be every day, but at least four times a week. And when that's met, the sails fill with wind and movement happens in your life. One more text today, really quickly. Philippians chapter one, verses nine to 11. Paul says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. I'm just gonna stay right there because the word that we need to focus on is abound. The New Living Translation says overflow. That's the word. There is more connection with God than we have room for. That's what's happening here. That's what Paul is describing. And so what do we do then when we have overflow, when we have more connection with God than, than we can use? Well, then we dish it out, right? And so mature Christians feed others. Mature Christians feed others in your life. There's a time that you're fed, 
there's a time that you grow and then you begin to feed yourself. And then later there's a time when you step into the kitchen and you begin to make the meal and you do the work to feed others. That's maturity. And we talked about the fact that uh, maturity is kind of strange because uh, those people who are mature really don't know it or think it. They really, you know, if you think you're mature, then you're probably not. That's the way it kind of works. But mature Christians are the ones who don't think of themselves as mature, but we can recognize them because they've learned that there are seasons to life. There's a springtime with lots of blossoms and lots of growth and lots of, but not much fruit. And then there's a summertime with lots of uh, fruit because of the growth of spring. And then there's a wintertime where there's tough times and barrenness but that leads to the blossoms of growth. And they've learned, mature people have, Christians have, that there is an appropriate behavior for each season. They're not adolescents anymore. For most of us, when God sends ice and snow into our lives, we shake our fist and say, God, why are you sending me ice and snow? Stop sending me ice and snow. But a mature Christian looks around at the ice and snow that God is sending in their lives, and they just say, oh, it's January. That's what's going on. See, they know that God sends things in certain seasons, and there are times of growth, there are times of fruit, there are times of deadness, and all of those are necessary for growth. And so mature Christians don't really ask why, they ask how. God, how will this help me connect more to you? And the easy part for mature Christians is what to do. Here's what Paul says. Notice that they don't really need a command. Babies need a command. Adolescents need a command. But maturity, there's really no need for orders. They just know what to do. And Paul says, I want you to keep on growing to the point of overflow. And overflow means to pass on gifts to others. And the command, if there is a command here, is to love one another. It's the royal command of love. My prayer for you is that your love would overflow more and more with knowledge and discernment, that you would love others in an overflowing way. And when you do, you'll keep on growing in your knowledge and understanding of God. You cannot fake maturity. Maturity is not about having exhilarating prayer times and exciting revelations about God or more and more intense feelings in worship. Those things can absolutely happen, no question, but they are not indicators of growth. You wanna know if you're growing? Maturity is about steadily increasing our ability to love others. Maturity is about being less bitter this year than we were last year. It's about being more and more willing to lay our lives out for other people. Mature Christians leverage their gifts to help other people in their walk. They teach, they pray, they encourage, they shepherd, they comfort, and they feed others with their love. Gordon MacDonald is an author, and he writes this. When I first ran track in prep school, my coach invited me to his home for dinner one night. And after the meal, he pulled out a notebook displaying my name on the front cover. And he immediately turned to the very back page, which bore the heading June 1957. That was three years away. And Gordon said, uh, Gordon, he said, these are the races I'm going to schedule you to run almost four years from now. Here are the times 
that you will achieve for each of those races. And he looked at the times and he said, oh, that's impossible. They were light years away from where he was at that moment. And then the coach, starting from the back, began turning back the pages of the book, page by page, showing 42 months that he had scheduled for workouts. And they were graduated, accelerated plans for increasing his skill on the track as the months would go by. And he had a sense of direction and development when it came to his athletic growth. Coaches and leaders of all kinds understand the absolute necessity of long-range planning. And if they do, don't you think God does? God is all-knowing and wise and has a plan for our total lives. And gradually, inevitably, down through the years, we will become more like Jesus. That's the goal for each one of us. But here's what I want you to worry about right now. I don't want you to see the end goal. I just want you to see all of those steps that are going to lead back to that. And I want you to see the step that you have in front of you right now. That's all I want you to focus on. Would you just take that step? The reason that I told you about Gordon McDonald is that you may not know he had a mega church before there were such things. He was president of World Vision uh, and InterVarsity Fellowship. He, he wrote several bestsellers, one of the books that I just mentioned. That was required reading for me when I was a freshman in college. And not long after reading that book, Gordon McDonald had an affair and he lost everything. Turns out his world wasn't so ordered. That's what his book was titled. He lost his job, his standing, his reputation. But his very next step was back into the light. And his next step after that was a little further into the light. And after a lot, a lot of steps, a lot of next steps towards God, he won everything back. And he wrote another book after he had rebuilt all of this. And it was entitled Rebuilding Your Broken World. And Bill Clinton read it twice when he was going through his infidelity. Gordon MacDonald became Bill Clinton's personal pastor for that time. And today in his 80s, McDonald continues to pour into ministry leaders every day. Why do I bring that up? It's because of the goal. We would look at the goal to be like Jesus and God has a path for us to get there and we would just look at the goal and we would just say, that's impossible. I don't know that I can ever be that. I don't know that I can ever live like Jesus. But what I'm challenging you with is not to look at the end result all the time. Just look at the next step that God has for you. Maybe this week, you're like Gordon McDonald. You went off the path a little bit. You know what your next step is? Get back on the path. That's it. Maybe you stayed on the path this week. Maybe your step is to get, just get a little further down the path through some of the things that we've talked about today. And if you see what God is doing, he has a plan to get you from where you are to more like his son, Jesus. And if you flip through all of the steps it will take to get there from, back, from the back of the book to the page you're on right now, all you will see in front of you is that one step. Will you take that one step? And if we all do that together, then God will grow us beyond measure. Father, I thank you for this path of growth that you've put in front of each one of us. There is rarely growth without change. There is rarely change without pain. 
but you are with us. And so would you help us to see what you're trying to make us into? And would you help us to just focus on that small next step so that we grow? Maybe it's to be fed. Maybe it's to feed ourselves. Maybe it's to feed others. But would we invite you once again into our lives and take those steps that you're calling us to take? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Um, I want you to stand and sing uh, this song. is tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And that's what it takes to take your next step. Trust that God is working, that he's going to bring something out of what you're going through. And so um, he has a plan for you. Would you trust him enough to take that next step? Let's sing together.